620 and a half here on News Talk 1010, and uh, good morning to one and all. I'm trying to get my way through all this. There's a lot of moving parts in this uh, program, but uh, one of the parts that's moving, and I think one of the best, too, and we're going to have them both in this hour. And that's what you get on News Talk 1010, two of the best political commentators in the country, Scott Reed and Tom Mulcair, coming up later on. Scott, uh, you're on first. Good morning. How are you doing? <laughs> good morning. Nice to hear you back on the air, John. Hope you're doing well. Good to be here. Thank you. I want to start off this morning with, uh, there's a lot of stories out this morning about polls, and, you know, who's winning and who's losing and how uh, deep the fatigue is with uh, Justin Trudeau. But one one angle that's kind of interesting and not surprising to me, given some of the history of people like Mike Harris and so on, is a story that says that Justin Trudeau and the sort of liberal voters aren't the only target that Pierre Polyev has in his sights, but that he's also going to be seeking out, uh, you know, NDP, historic NDP voters. And I remember the day, for example, when Mike Harris won his first big majority government, he won seats like Oshawa, which had been a stronghold of the NDP. But it was what he was talking about back then. They called it the common sense revolution that actually appealed to a lot of people who historically had voted NDP. And how do you think he's going to make out on this kind of a strategy that sort of says he's going not just for the more conservative votes, not just for the more conservative liberal votes historically, but also for these uh, new Democratic Party voters? Yeah, I think there's a couple things working in his favor, to be honest. And, um, and one of them is the dynamic you've mentioned, which is that lunch bucket NDP voters uh, have always been NDP conservative switchers because depending on when you're at in the election cycle, folks that peddle from a conservative standpoint, a kind of economic populist, lunch bucket, working class message, uh, have a lot of traction with those folks. And so when you think about, you know, issues like the carbon tax right now, you know, you think about cities like Sudbury, um, up in Timmins, where NDP members hold the seats federally, but you got a conservative leader is going to say, listen, you know what? The government is actually uh, laying the burden on you even higher, which is where I think the second factor, which is unique to our times that comes in, and that is the NDP liberal deal, which in many ways handcuffs the NDP from critiquing, at least in any fundamental sense, uh, the liberal government. They are you know, co-pilots of this federal government plane in some respects. At least that's what the conservatives can argue. And so that allows them to say, hey, your local NDP member is actually a problem. They're part of what's been propping this up. So if you're a, a, a economically distressed 50-year-old factory worker, well, golly, uh, I'm talking sense to you and nobody else is. And so I, I do think that it's a focus of the Conservatives federally, and I think it's smart, and I think uh, they're going to get some of those lunch bucket NDP votes. Does this suggest, because when we've seen these deals in the past, I think, and I'm old, but I think of 1972 to 74, where the NDP propped up uh, a minority liberal government, and they just got crushed in 1974, and there have been examples since. Does this suggest uh, that uh, uh, Jagmeet Singh should be thinking about an opportunity to try and pull the plug at some stage, or is that just a prescription for him getting crushed in the way that you suggested? Because people will say, you know, you were the conductor on that train, so you're out too. Yeah, it's a little bit like a uh, choice between uh, the rope and the pistol. Uh, yeah. They've got a real challenge, because if you look at it, they... They need this deal right now. Um, the liberals desperately need this deal, right? I mean, the liberals cannot go to the uh, to the people with polls in the way that they are and with the economy in the shape that it is. It's just a recipe for certain defeat. So they need this deal. The NDP need this deal because their own numbers are, are also fairly grim and they know they haven't broken through. So they're kind of trapped in it. They convince themselves that, well, this demonstrates that we can make parliament work, that we can get things done, that for our voter coalition, 
coalition, speaking as the NDP, that they can then uh, cash in the fruits of this uh, agreement. I don't believe it. I don't think it's ever worked. I don't think it worked for Bob Ray in Ontario. I don't think it worked for David Lewis uh, federally. I think that it creates a polarized opportunity in the next federal election where it'll be Pierre Paglia versus Justin Trudeau, and it'll be mano a mano, and the NDP will be sort of left on the sidelines uh, watching it. But they can't pull out very successfully either. So uh, I think they're kind of trapped in this for another year and a half. They're open the pistol. Uh, we have on the education front, I guess, no suggestion, thank goodness, that the schools aren't going back after Labor Day. But we do have uh, what I was calling a bit of a dance that goes on with these uh, negotiations, not just teachers' negotiations, all labor negotiations. Uh, you have the province having proposed uh, going to arbitration uh, later in the fall if they can't reach a deal, and the unions rejecting that, and the minister having more to say today. Uh, is it just the dance? What do you make of uh, what's going on with this? Uh, again, knowing that the schools are still going to be going back at least. Uh, at the beginning of the school year. Most of it's just the dance, but I think the thing you pointed out earlier, which um, you know jumps out at you, is that um, one of the teachers' unions, of course, agreed that uh, in order to avoid strike action, that they would um, agree in advance that if talks derail, they'll go to arbitration, and the other unions are not. And I do think that's disappointing because I actually think that that locked-in process encourages um, in, in, encourages uh, negotiation, and because it, you know that you'll put yourself in the hands of an arbitrator uh, if um, if you don't let it, these talks succeed. And I think it will force um, the sides to to work harder. Um, but looks like that's not going to happen. I, I'm still skeptical, knock on wood, that we'll see strike action just because I don't think. I don't. I, I don't think it would be in the union's interest. I think it, it, the threat of strike gives them leverage. The uh, reality of strike forfeits that leverage. I, I totally agree with that. I think people are so um, under stress at the moment that they just will not have any sympathy. As much as I think, you know, they're sympathetic to the role the teachers have and to the responsibilities they have and so forth, I don't think they're going to be in much of a mood to see uh, strike action on anybody's part in the public service uh, where, you know, think people are, you know, fairly well off in terms of job security and other kinds of uh, arrangements, uh, even if there are some things that need to be negotiated. We've got uh, Ottawa, and again, you, you probably lived through this in your day in Ottawa, and I did too, where you see uh, polls taken all the time saying people had immense concerns about the environment, and they, they genuinely held, and I think it's, if anything, increased. But at the same time, when you ask them, would they, would they do certain things to change their own life in order to improve the environment? They say, no, I'm not going to do that. Maybe somebody else could do that. Here we have a situation where Ottawa is asking the supermarket chains to reduce single-use plastics, which I think could be done. But I worry sometimes that, um, you know, when people, well-meaning and doing what the public want in government, are trying to bring about change like that, they have absolutely no regard for the practicality. For example, you know, is the cellophane wrapping and the plastic packaging and so forth that goes on a lot of things that are in supermarkets anything to do with the supermarket at all? Or is it just something that ends up on their shelf because they, uh, you know, happen to bring the product in and there's no concern about timing and so on? Do you think that uh, this one will work? I, I'm not against it at all, but I just worry about practicality. Well, I actually think this might be more politically feasible and appealing than um, than other approaches like, you know, putting pressure on that reduces that you end up in a world where, hey, you're taking away my plastic bag. Now, damn it, I got to remember these bags. And, you know, I think 
many people go, all right, I know I, I, I should bear some individual sacrifice here. And it's not that big a sacrifice to remember a cloth bag or whatever, but it irritates people. And you see on the other side of the ledger politically, you see the rage machine get all tarted up about that or plastic straws and so on and so forth. I think what's smarter about this, it might've been the place that they might've wanted to start, to be honest with you, is that it feels like they're placing the burden on the supply chain, on the big corporate players. So as you say, whether it's the packagers or the supermarket chains, say, well, why don't you guys actually, does everything need to be just drenched in plastic? Every freaking package, you open up the plastic package inside, there's individually plastic wrapped, uh, you know, cookies and uh, so on and so forth. I, I think putting some pressure on uh, the players that, that generate that output might make sense and shield them a little bit from the frontline individual negative political reaction. But, um, you know, whether it will work or not, I I, I, I got no idea. Um, maybe it's posturing. Maybe it's reality. I don't know what leverage they have on you know the supermarket chains and uh, and the manufacturers to actually force change. No, and I think you're right. I think a lot of the packaging, excess packaging that goes on is marketing related and is not related to the well-being of the product or the well-being of the consumer. It's just marketing and they should crack down at that end before they start telling uh, the supermarkets to do more than they're doing. Scott Reed, uh, always interesting to chat. Thank you very much and uh, we'll look forward to talking again sometime soon. Scott Reed, uh, joining us on the morning brief here on uh, News Talk 1010.